I'm Dave, the Bionic Blogger. Podcast for people who've been lost. Hello, Dave. How are you today? I'm great. Peggy. I know How you're are great because you? your football team won. Oh, it's been a good Sunday. <laughs> it was a little little dicey there for I a while. I have no idea. I heard a lot of hooting and hollering going back in the in the bedroom when I was working in the living room. So I figured something was going on with either a ball or a puck. So whatever. Yeah, my my Patriots my Patriots are going to the Super Bowl again. I'm very happy. I was not happy when early in the fourth quarter, after a Patriots fumble, my son threw his uh, vitamin water on the ground with such force that the bottle actually exploded. Oh, Plastic wow. bottle exploded, spraying me halfway across the room with vitamin water. So I wasn't thrilled with that part. That's kind but, of hardcore. Uh, At least it wasn't glass. <laughs> I'd like to think that there's enough self-control there to know that you wouldn't do that well, with glass. I'm not sure there is. My three-year-old but. a few months ago got mad when the Polar Express, I wouldn't play it on the TV, and he threw a fit. And he threw something that actually cracked our, our flat-screen TV. So, oh, yeah. Nice. Yeah, I wasn't happy. Nice. I wasn't happy. So, I'm banning him from sports because, you know, if he gets that upset with, with uh, the Polar Express, if he actually got invested in a sports team, you know, I don't know what he would do to the house. <laughs> Yeah, I think I think getting him to you know maybe get interested in hiking yeah, would be a good idea. Right? Oh, <laughs> so who who are you rooting for in the Super Bowl, Peggy? Um, of the possible teams that are so left. So I understand the Eagles are still in. So as, as we are recording this right now, yes, yes because so I I was born and raised in Pennsylvania outside of of Philadelphia. So I am a Philly girl for sports, except for hockey when I'm a Capitals girl now and baseball where I'm now a Nationals fan. So I guess really just for football, I'm an Eagles fan and really not that invested, but I will root for the Eagles, especially if they play the Patriots. Yeah, so if we have an Eagles Patriots Super Bowl, you and I have to figure out some sort of online yes. re- discourse that we can engage in. I am in. going to send you all of the different Wiggles characters that I can find via tweets to try to like shake your mojo during the game. You know, why would you ruin a great <laughs> American holiday like the Super Bowl with these Australian Nimrods. Just, just to, sh- like I said, I want to shake your concentration and and ruin your good your good mojo and good luck with the team. Anything to shake it I down, know, that- you know. In the meantime, I'll be eating cool. ice cream and nachos as per my Super Bowl tradition. It's it's that's very cruel. That's the way I. Roll. I didn't. I didn't. The Philly know. is hardcore. I didn't, I didn't know the depth of your depth of your that's passion. Right. When it comes Philly to this, is hard just court. taking me Don't, out. I'm a Philly fan. What can I say? <laughs> Says the woman who asked me, who are the other two teams <laughs> five minutes before this started? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, you know, bring the Wiggles on. The Patriots have beaten everybody right. else. Well, Wiggles Wiggles are just another uh, obstacle. But Captain Feathersword, you know. <sighs> What are we talking about this week, All right, week, we're going to talk about K-levels and how K-levels can actually keep you from getting the right prosthetic components, which is kind of a different switch on it. And I think a lot of people have, have experienced this, but maybe don't know that they've experienced this. 
Yeah, and we've talked about the K levels in the past in the context of just trying to explain the reimbursement system in the U.S. and uh, you know, kind of how claims get processed and what factors are considered. But we've never really gone into, I think, with a lot of detail, um, how the K levels work, what they incentivize, and quite frankly, how they don't work. And there's some pretty significant implications around the K levels and how they relate to the limb loss, limb difference community that are potentially disturbing. So we're going to talk through that today. Sounds good. Do you think that we should start by kind of explaining again what the K levels are? Yeah. Why don't you? Why don't you okay. do that? So uh, K levels represent the different levels for lower limb amputee function, and it's basically K zero through K four. K zero is you have no ability or potential to ambulate. Uh, K1 is that you have the ability or the potential to transfer and ambulate on level surfaces at a fixed cadence. So this would be more kind of like nursing home walking, correct? K2 is the ability or the potential to ambulate and transverse low-level environmental barriers, small curbs, um, walk over small you know, like tree limbs, things like that. Um, Yep, ramps. mm -hmm. K3 is the ability or the potential to vary cadence and unlimited community ambulators. So you are out and about throughout your community, throughout your yard, and you can switch your speed. So you can go from low to to medium and, and kind of adjust how you're walking depending upon the situation. And K4 is the ability and the potential beyond basic ambulation. So this is where you're doing the running and the jumping and very high kind of athletic type things. That is correct. See, I've done this once or twice. Yes, you have. You know the K levels. And one of the things that, it, you know, that we I think we've mentioned in the past, Peggy, is that the, the K levels are linked to the reimbursement codes that describe different types of prosthetic components. So as an example- And and not uh, to interrupt, Dave, but a great way in order to see this in action would be the AMPT product encyclopedia. Yeah, great point. So as you listen to this podcast, and then if you want to see how this all plays out, go to the product encyclopedia, because we've organized all of the lower extremity components by K-level. So- um, an example of this would be there's a there's a reimbursement code L5980, and L5980 describes a foot that is considered a flex foot or equivalent foot, and that code is designated only for K3 or higher users, meaning somebody with variable cadence who's an unlimited community ambulator. Similarly, L5856, which is the main code describing microprocessor-controlled knees, um, is again limited to K3 or higher users. Um, so there is a direct linkage between the K level that's assigned and ultimately the components that you're going to be able to receive. So if you want a microprocessor knee and you are a K1 user, there right now is no pathway for you to get that type of component. Um, last point about the K levels um, in terms of what they are, bilaterals, uh, can often not be strictly bound by K levels. So um, this is straight out of the local coverage determination for lower limb prostheses. Bilateral amputees, because they uh, they 
do unique things on a prosthesis in terms of the amount of force they generate, the amount of energy expenditure that's demanded of them, whole variety of factors. Uh, because of that, there is guidance in the LCD suggesting that bilaterals often cannot be strictly bound by K levels. That doesn't mean, by the way, that Medicare hasn't increasingly interpreted um, the K levels as applying to bilaterals uh, exactly the same way they do to unilaterals. But at least in theory, that doesn't have to be the case. Good to know. An interesting thing with the K levels, Dave, is that it includes not only the current ability, but also the potential to do all of those things. And potential is kind of an interesting aspect because it's based on at least one of the following factors, correct? The, the patient's past history. So what, what they were doing either before the amputation or what their lifestyle was like or what they were doing on their prosthesis before, their current condition and their basic desire to ambulate. Is this somebody who is very motivated? Um, and kind of gauging some of those things is is tricky. Yeah. I mean, obviously, patients past history, if you're a new amputee, hard to tell what they would necessarily be able to do on a prosthesis if you have no baseline, as an example. Exactly. Um, Patient's desire to ambulate is something that seems so obvious that it shouldn't have to be said. If a patient wants to, you know, it wants a prosthesis and is looking to walk, they have the desire to ambulate. Yet, Medicare will deny claims if the actual clinical notes don't include the phrase, the patient is motivated to ambulate, right. which seems insane, but it is a technical requirement that Medicare will bounce claims for. Um, and it's become the key battleground for a lot of prosthetic claims. The concept, the concept of potential, concept of has. potential has absolutely. Um, do you want to talk a little bit about that, or do you think we? Well, yeah, yeah. I, no, no, we can quickly touch on it. I mean, I can tell you from having spoken to prosthetists and and listened to them over the last, I'd say, five years or so. Uh, many of them believe, uh, with good reason, that the concept of potential is no longer really in play. That claims reviewers actually will not accept evidence of potential and that the only thing, therefore, that matters is what's the patient's actual condition right here, right now. And that's obviously troublesome. And that was a huge, a huge contention with the LCD a few years ago, was the elimination of potential. Exactly. The draft LCD back in 2015 did eliminate the word potential and the, the uproar about it was specifically that it, it provided no pathway for real improvement. Basically, it would, you, you get stuck in absolutely finite, rigid categories and without considering potential, um, you get locked into components as a result that might be appropriate for you today, but won't be appropriate for you in three to four exactly, months. Exactly. Exactly. As skills, as skills change and as your, your abilities improve, right? You might start out a K2, but with potential to be a K3. But if you take that potential away, then you're going to be stuck at the K2. Right. And this is a double-edged sword. Not only, you know, whether or not that's actually happening, whether or not Medicare is actually limiting um, access to components by reading the word potential out of the local coverage determination. The fact of the matter is that if prosthetists believe that's happening, then they will actually become more reluctant to provide amputees the higher end component, the higher functional level component, because they don't think Medicare is going to approve it. And we're going to talk through some data here in just a second that suggests that, at least in part, that might be true. 
So it's it's important to know that that although the K levels are required by Medicare, they're not limited to just Medicare claims. As as we've talked about in AMPT before, and if you've listened to our podcast or have, have worked in insurance, you know that virtually all payers in the United States, all insurance companies, rely upon pretty much what Medicare sets forth. And in this case, with pros- lower limb prosthetics, it is the K level system. So um, reimbursement codes are linked directly to K levels, and that's how claims are processed. A good example of that, again, if you want to see this in action, see the reimbursement codes and how they're each assigned to different monetary amounts. You can check out the AMPT uh, product encyclopedia because we do have it laid out there. Yeah. And one of the things you'll see in that product encyclopedia, if you look at K1 feet and then K2 feet and then K3 feet, you'll see the price of all of those codes in each K level increase because you're going from lower end, less sophisticated, less dynamic products to higher end, more complex, more dynamic uh, products. And the the cost uh, goes upward with K level. Good to know. All right. So we're going to be going over a graph. And Dave, since this is your graph, I'm going to let you take over. Okay. So um, what we wanted to do is we wanted to illustrate for people um, what has happened historically with K-levels. And um, the first chart actually shows utilization of K3 feet from 1992 through 2014. And when you get a chance to look at this chart uh, in the uh, in the podcast summary, what you'll see is that in 1992, uh, the number of K3 feet being put on patients approved by Medicare was considerably lower than it was by the time you got into the early 2000s. It's basically a fairly steady climb upwards. And there are multiple possible explanations for this. One might be that there were a larger number of amputees and a larger number, therefore, of K3 amputees than there were in the early 90s, and that could account for it. However, another possible explanation would be that prosthetists started reading the word potential more broadly, more liberally, uh, because they wanted to provide access to the higher-end components uh, that that they thought their patients could benefit from more than in the early 90s when these products were actually just starting to come to the market. And so you get this whole new class of products flooding the market in the foot space in the mid 90s, and you start to see this steady tick upwards. Um, The interesting thing about this graph is from 1992 through 2011, the numbers are pretty consistently going up. And in 2011, late 2011, Medicare announced that it was going to start auditing and scrutinizing claims much more carefully for lower limb prostheses. And what you see beginning in 2012 and then extending into 2013 and 2014 is a sharp decline. So a trend upwards for the better part of um, almost um, almost 20, 20 years. years. Yeah. yeah. All of a sudden, by 2014, is essentially right. It's actually a little bit lower than where it started. Um, there's a similar trend line for microprocessor knees, and the data set here is not quite as far back because microprocessor knees are newer devices. Uh, they they really weren't in the market, although they they weren't in the market back in 1992. But starting in 2003, again, you see a steady spike up to 2011, and then the numbers again consistently go down 2012, 2013, 2014. So um, 
you know, you're looking when you see those changes in utilization, what that's also signaling as a practical matter is that, you know, for some period of time, more and more amputees are getting these products until they aren't. And all of a sudden, then it's many, many fewer amputees, at least in the Medicare program, getting them. It's interesting. Um, and and I guess, Dave, playing devil's advocate, if, if somebody is, is a K2 and they're given one of these K3 feet, it could give them the – they could be relying upon the, the flexibility and the feedback and the dynamic aspects to actually help elevate them to reach their potential, correct? Yeah, there are two that's that's one edge of the sword. So one possible positive thing and we're going to talk about this more in a few minutes is that if you give a K2 user access to higher end technology, maybe they will actually improve more quickly or just achieve better clinical outcome. Um the flip side of this and one that's completely understandable and in fact defensible from the Medicare perspective is they don't want to see K2 users um, so, you know, limited community ambulators, um, they don't want to see K2 users um, being put in really high-end components if they can't benefit from them exactly. because the per unit cost is a lot higher. And I've seen, uh, I've been at presentations where Medicare medical directors t- share their concerns about patients in nursing homes with congestive heart failure um, being prescribed K3 components being prescribed microprocessor knees, and they're looking at the chart and they're saying, this patient can't even walk right now in their clinical condition, much less walk in a K3 component and be classified as a potential or actual K3 user. There's just a total disconnect. So those are the two edges of the sword. You've got the potential for the technology to actually help. And Medicare, on the other hand, is concerned that that sort of opens the floodgates if you read potentially too broadly. Um, It opens the floodgates to everybody getting high cost devices just because they're high cost and a prosthetist can make more money uh, delivering one of them in theory. And therefore, um, there's this real kind of push and pull. It's, it's the potential of this might be able to boost a lot of patients to a whole new level that they weren't didn't believe or didn't know that they would be able to achieve versus, you know, some people who have kind of in a way soured the entire system uh, because they were irresponsibly um, prescribing things that, that really weren't appropriate. That's absolutely right. And this hits upon, this really gets to the crux of what we want this podcast to be about, which is really the big issue here. So Peggy, why don't you start talking through this and I'll jump in. Um, as as you lay it out. Yeah, so the K levels uh, are basically at the intersection of the patient, the component, and cost. The current system limits higher end components on more mobile patients. So the more mobile you are, uh, basically, the, the more eligible you become for the higher end prosthetic components, the ones that, that are the microprocessor, knees and ankles, the, the more specialized devices, things like that. Uh, with the way that it's currently designed, you have to be more mobile in order to get the higher tech option, but this approach could arguably hurt the patients in that K2 users are often at a greater risk for falling. They can't walk as far or as much, but they may actually benefit more, some say, from some of the higher tech components that are designed to help reduce 
the fall risk and uh, spread out the energy expenditure and have higher great have greater energy uh, expenditure be able to give back and and more flexibility and be more responsive that there is a line of thought that some some k2 users who are actually limited in their their ability to get around because of 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 some energy issues or because of falling might actually benefit from devices that are only available to K3 who may not be as high of a risk to falling and may not need that aspect of those features. Yeah. And I, I can speak to this a bit, Peggy, over over my life as an amputee because um, I I started walking on passive hydraulic knees, you know, just a simple hydraulic knee that, you know, had uh, you know, bearings and, and oil inside it. And I now walk on a powered prosthetic knee that has a microprocessor and motors and it does everything for me. And the reality is that, you know, especially when I was younger and I was really active and I was doing a ton of stuff every day and I was in probably the best shape of my life as an amputee, I could have walked on anything. I don't need a microprocessor knee in order to be able to fulfill all of the requirements of my life. Um, never, never had it. I never had to have it. Um, was walking on a microprocessor knee when I got my first one in the early 2000s a huge difference? Yeah, it was a thousand times better. And I was less tired at the end of the day and my body hurt less. Uh, but could I have continued to function for some period of time using a typical hydraulic? Yeah, I could have. So that K3, K4 user arguably has the ability to use lower end components successfully. The K2 user who today is blocked from accessing these higher end components, on the other hand, someone who you know maybe does have an elevated fall risk, someone who can't walk very much because the energy demands of passive uh, a dumb joints, you know, no microprocessor on board. Uh, those those people are constrained by their components, and giving them access to the the K three what is currently a K three component might in fact have a profoundly positive impact on them, their ability to walk more, their ability to uh, walk with uh, less energy expenditure, and the ability to decrease their fall risk because microprocessor knees, one of their key characteristics is that they actually increase resistance when they sense that the knee is unstable. And so, whereas in a passive joint, a dumb joint, uh, th when the knee starts to collapse, you're on the ground literally before you know that you're falling. And I've been there and I've done it. Uh, a microprocessor knee actually increases the resistance enough that you have a moment to catch yourself before the knee starts really collapsing. Um, so, this disconnect between K level on the one hand and linking the right products to the right patients on the other is a real issue. It is. I think, you know, not to add another layer to this, Dave, but I think I'm probably going to with this comment. Um, I know that when I, when I received my microprocessor ankle many, many years ago, um, I was able to kind of save some of the other parts of my body because I wasn't as tired and because my gait really did stabilize with it. Uh, so I no longer needed the pain medication for my back and the muscle relaxers and that sort of thing. I was able to really save my other joints and my other body systems because everything I was able to rely upon that microprocessor ankle in a way that I'd never, I can't do with a standard prosthesis. 
um, and and had the potential not been there for me to go to be able to qualify for that, I never would have been able to experience it and reached where I am today. Yeah. And that's, you've hit upon really one of the key differences between more sophisticated and less sophisticated components. There are, um, there are the most obvious benefits that are sort of you could measure them pretty easily in real time, theoretically, which are things like fall reduction, and you can run tests to check energy consumption. But the cumulative effect of using dumber versus smarter devices over time uh, is something that uh, no one's really done yet. But I can tell you, and I, you're, you're describing it also, you get onto smarter components, ones that manage your fall risk, that allow you to walk more symmetrically, to walk w- with less energy, less total body involvement. And what happens? What happens is you have less lower back pain, you have less uh, stress on your sound limb, and over thousands or hundreds and of thousands of steps more. a year. Yeah, you o- over the course of a year, you know the 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 effect is it is noteworthy. I mean, I know what I used to feel like at the end of a day in a purely mechanical dumb joint versus wearing a microprocessor controlled knee, and it was totally different. So, and, and I think everybody who has dealt with the K levels has dealt with this issue in some way. They may not have known that this is an issue that they're dealing with, but, you know, amputees right now in this country are, are, um, you know, we're forced to, to play by the K level rule because right now that is the, the, the system. Um, so Dave, what can we do? Where do we go from there? Well, this is not an easy one to fix. You know, we've we've done many, many podcasts, Peggy, where we have sort of action items and things we can do. And this is one that is pretty complicated. And I'm not sure there's a lot right now uh, that the limb loss, limb difference community can do other than be aware of it. Because um, there are some real limitations here. Um, all of the conclusions that you and I just reached, um, the stories, the narratives we just told about our experience with these devices, as well as uh, I think a very uh, commonly accepted truism in the clinical care world among prosthetists that these higher end components can actually help lower end users much more uh, than they perhaps help the higher end users. None of that has actually really been put to the test from a data standpoint. Um, Data is still being developed. There was one report um, came out, uh, I think, in twenty late twenty fifteen or twenty sixteen, actually, a Dobson Devonzo report that AOPA uh, commissioned, which actually, interestingly, it was focusing on microprocessor knees and uh, their cost over time, and did it make sense to use them? And one of the interesting things about that data was that uh, there were actually some suggestions that um, some K2 users who, for whatever reason, Medicare actually approved K3 knees for them, microprocessor knees, um, they actually cost less than than a similar cohort of K2 patients who are in K2 knees, even though the cost of the knee was much more. Uh, so the question really becomes... Um, can we validate that? Can we prove that higher end components on lower end users do say does save money over time? And you know, and, there's and 
they're higher end, but they're also, you know, higher price. And that that's a consideration that that people have to keep in mind is that the K2 user group is huge. It's massive. If it's opened up to these higher components, it will benefit some. Others are going to be on the lower end of the K2 user spectrum and they may not benefit them as much. Yeah, and and that's that's where this gets really tricky. You're getting in, you now you're correctly pointing to a, an issue that's um, really down in the weeds. But you know the K levels themselves are pretty gross tools, and by gross I mean they're not particularly refined. So a user who you know prosthetists talk all the time about high high K two, low K two, but in fact the actual functional levels don't recognize any gradation between. Uh, within the functional levels themselves. A K2 user is a K2 user. In fact, the, the the people who sit in that K2 space, some of them are, you know, not very far beyond using a prosthesis for basic transfer and very limited community or household walking. And then some of them are almost K3 users. Those are two very different patients clinically, but there is no way in the current L code and K level system to accommodate that. Yeah. So I think we've done a good job, Dave, of identifying, you know, some problems, some pretty big barriers. And the the main one being that that the K levels, although they're working and it is the standard accepted um, system with insurance because Medicare uses it. Um, but it could actually become a barrier to denying patients the best clinical outcome because of where they're falling on the K level. But it's not going to be easy to change. Yeah, that's absolutely right. Because the K levels are basically where the K levels sit from a regulatory standpoint is in the local coverage determination. And the, the, the public's ability to change the local coverage determination is slim and none. There's no, there's no platform by which you can really go and say, this should be changed as a consumer. Um, now, are there, um, are there researchers and clinicians out there in the world today who recognize the issues that the current K levels present and who are thinking about ways to both validate that and potentially change how Medicare reimburses them. Yeah, those discussions are going on. But um, again, our ability as a community to influence that is fairly limited. So right now, you well, know, I think- it's it's limited. But I do want to put out there that you know researchers are going to be needing help, and they're going to be needing the the community help. So if you have an opportunity to participate in some clinical research, if you're at a conference and researchers are there and they ask you to participate or they they send you surveys through your prosthetist office or through different websites, I, I encourage everybody to take advantage of those and to, to participate whenever possible because that participation is going to actually help solve some of these issues. No question, and that's a really good point, Peggy. Um, in our in our takeaways about this podcast, as we summarize it, you know, I think we've established that they can act, the K levels can act as a barrier to denying patients the best clinical outcome. They're not easy to change, but evidence development is the key, 
evidence development is where uh, is the vehicle through which we're going to be able to improve things. And what does that mean as a practical matter for the limb loss, limb difference community? It means every chance you have to help prosthetists and researchers accumulate data um, whether it's via a registry, whether it's via clinical research that's going on in your area or clinical research that's going on elsewhere, but that the data can be collected remotely, we would strongly encourage anyone who has the opportunity to participate in that to do so. Because these are the kinds of things that as a community we can do to, uh, to try to help validate what I think most users and most prosthetists know based on their own experience to be true. But until we can point to peer-reviewed published research that shows that it's true, our ability to, to data. Yeah, our ability to actually influence that discussion is going to be somewhat limited. Absolutely. So participate in research. You want to become involved, Amped Army, that's how you can do it at, the, at this level. That's well said. I think that's a great way to wind it up, Peggy. Sounds good. All right. And on that note, I hope everybody has a fantastic week. And the Super Bowl is not next week, correct? It's the week after. That is correct. Yes. Yep. Okay. So we have a we have a vacation week from football. So that's a good thing. Yeah, plenty of plenty of time for you if the Eagles make it to devise an absolutely sinister, awful mind-numbing scheme to inundate me with Wiggles gifts. Oh, I'm on it. You know that. Um, I think I just started rooting for Minnesota. (laughs) And on that note, thanks for listening, everybody. Take care, everyone. Bye.